read two verses from Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 18 and 19. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. The Lord was saying that I will not hide from Abraham what I'm going to do. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this morning, for this day that you have made for us to rejoice and to worship and praise your, your great name. You are the one who has saved us and without whom we would have no hope. We thank you that you are doing this for us and for our families, that you are the God of the covenant, the God of Abraham and all the sons of Abraham, those who have the faith of Abraham. We pray that you would open our eyes today as we approach your word. In Christ's name we pray. Um, this season we will not only be doing the Retimed of History as we did last time, but as you have heard maybe uh, last week, it will be two main topics. We'll continue with the Retimed of History, especially with Exodus and Leviticus, but we'll also do some uh, pra pra practical topics on Christian living. And today I'll start with something since we are beginning this season of, uh, of Sunday school classes, we will do uh, family worship and uh, marriage issues and uh, practical issues with Christian living. And the first topic that I will start with would be family worship. It may take two times uh, to finish it, but generally speaking, it will be alternative with the redemptive history. So one of the great blessings that we we have enjoyed being here, whether this time as a family or five or six years ago when we were here, is the family worship. We used to have the concept of family worship, but it was really deep-rooted as we, as we came here to, this, uh, to Grand Rapids and to this church context. We were blessed by it. And I know many of you are doing uh, family worship, maybe some are not as diligent as, it, as they should, but many are already. But the fear is that we would be doing it just because we are used to do it. We have seen people doing it. My parents did it. My grandparents did it. So I'm just doing it. Is this the case? Is it just a tradition? Or does the word of God teach us that how essential, how important family worship is? Well, uh, today we'll see the biblical foundation for it. But before, before I say this, or before we go to the biblical foundation of, of family worship, we need to think why we are doing it. We seek the well-being of our families, I suppose, right? Our children. 
our spouses. We seek their well-being. And when we speak about children, about the younger generations, we, are, we want to secure their future. And this is a good thing. But what do you mean by future? How many days? How many months? How many years? What is the future that you want to secure for your family? What kind of future? Nothing is more important than their eternal future, spiritual future. I think we said this before. What would be the gain if you raise the best doctor or the best ambassador who will perish in hell? What is the gain? What is the profit? What is the profit if your, if your husband is a great engineer or a great CEO that he will perish in hell? What's the gain if your wife is the most beautiful wife, but she'll perish in hell? What's the gain? And God cares for our spiritual future, and this should be our priority uh, as well. Our role in our life as parents, as uh, fathers, as mothers, is to lead our families to worship God. We owe our allegiance to God. And as, especially as parents, God has placed us in a place of authority in our families to guide the children. Uh, we are not just advisors or friends, although it's a good thing to be their advisors and to be their friends, but we are more than that. We are more than that. We are their teachers. We are their Rulers in the way of the Lord, according to his word. So let's see uh, what is the biblical foundation for this whole concept of family worship. First of all, we need to think that in terms of the relationship with God, we usually uh, only imagine that God deals with us individually. Truly, he deals with us, everyone, personally, if I ask every one of you, he will have a kind of a relationship with God, whether positive or negative. But there's a kind of a relationship. There's a personal relationship. And this is very important. But the scripture also teaches us that God deals with us in a kind of a collectively, corporately. For instance, and this is the most famous uh, representation we have heard about it this morning, he deals with us either as those who are in Christ or as those who are in Adam. None of us here is outside of this representation. None of us. Every one of us here. Every single one. He's either in Adam or in Christ. You are already represented by someone. You are under this headship, either of Christ or Adam. There is no escape of that. Every single person you meet is like that. The idea of representation is so rooted in the scripture. And it's dominant in our daily life. As parents, we are representing our children. The, the decision that a father will make will impact his children. The house he's going to buy, the place he's going to live, will impact not only him, but only also his children. His decisions will impact his children. Parents... 
impact their, their children. Even, or their families, not just the children, their families as well. In the church, the office bearers, the pastors, they are representing the church. When there is a synod for the FRC Federation, the office bearers, the pastors, they are representing the church, this congregation, the country. You have the legislators, they are representing the country. You have the president, every decision he makes impact the whole citizens. The idea of representation is always there. We are part of it, whether you confess it or not, whether you realize it or not. The idea of representation is so rooted in the scripture, in our daily life. And it comes also to our families. Uh, it's not that everyone in your house has just his own relationship with God and that's it. It's more than that. It's more than that. Yes, this is part of it. Maybe in the same house, a brother or a sister may be godly, may be in Christ, and another one may not be in Christ. It happens, yes. But generally speaking, as we'll see, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we'll worship God. This is a house where Christ is head. As a father, as a mother, the parents, you are responsible for this. And fathers, you have greater responsibility on that. From the very beginning, from Genesis 2, God did not just create individuals. He did not just create Adam alone and another man alone, or Adam alone and Eve alone. He created a family. From the very beginning, a family. And he asked them, I want you to be fruitful. I want, I want to have children. And hopefully you remember when we talked about the fall. When the fall happened, God did not just talk to them collectively. He went to the man, to Adam. Where are you? What did you do? What's going on? He knocked at the door of the house. And he was expecting Adam to answer him. For this house, you are responsible for me. And we'll see this as we move forward in the scripture. We'll see the father impacts his family. In the very first, next chapter, chapter 4, we'll see, we see Cain, his son. He went astray from the Lord, and it was not only him. He led all his family astray. All of them, they were not raised in the fear of the Lord. Read about his sons. Read about Lamech. What did he do? Killing, polygamy. He's the son of Cain. On the other side, you see someone like Noah. Maybe one of his children was not a believer yet. Because of Noah, this son was blessed, was saved from the, from the flood. He was bringing sacrifices to the Lord for him and his family. Job was doing the same. The idea of a representation that... The, the head of the house is representing his family before God is so rooted in the scripture. And God is teaching the patriarchs, the men, I want you to bring, not only you to come to me, you and your household. I'm dealing with you all. Even when he met Abraham, when he talked to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing. You and your children. Then we move forward to the book of Exodus, 
And if you can turn with me, Exodus 12, we'll see what the Lord is telling the Israelites to do. How to, how to teach their children, how to teach their household. This event, the Passover, we may say it's the most famous and or important event of salvation in the Old Testament. A great type of what the Lord is going to do in Christ. Very central in the redemptive history. And the Lord is teaching them what, what to do in, in chapter 12. And he's saying this in verse 24 about the Passover rituals. Not only while you were going out of Egypt, and ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. I want you to keep this for you and your sons. He's not just talking to this generation. All the generations of Israel. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you. According as he had promised, that ye shall keep this service. I want you to do this Passover lamb again and again and again. Every year to, to bring a lamb, a perfect lamb, slaughter it, and eat it. Verse 26, and it shall come to pass when your children... When your children shall say unto you, What mean by ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. So what, what the Lord is teaching them, Well, you will do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what I have done to you. And when your children ask you, Why are you doing this? What do you do? You teach them. You te not just generally speaking, you teach them about this. You teach them about my salvation. God is expecting parents, leaders in the houses to teach their children about God's salvation. To tell them what he has done. And not only what he has done generally in salvation, how he saved us. God is expecting the parents to talk to their children how they were saved. Who saved them? And how, how did he save them? It's so good to tell your children about your salvation. Your own salvation. God did this to me. I was blind, but now I see. I was a sinner, but he saved me. I worship other gods, but not anymore. And I don't want you to be worshiping other gods. Great to teach, great to pray for our children. Definitely. But you have to talk to them about your own salvation. About God's salvation in Christ and about your own salvation. Not just telling them do's and don'ts. It's important. It has its place. But they need to listen to the good news. And to see that this good news did something in the parents' life. If we move further, we'll see in the book of Deuteronomy what Moses will teach the same people. Just before going to the land, Deuteronomy 6. See the emphasis of the scripture on the family. Deuteronomy 6. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. I taught you something. I gave you the commandments. I reminded you of what I have done to you in Egypt. And thou shalt teach, and then in this verse 6, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. What a word, this word, diligently. You teach this word diligently. I want you to keep doing this again and again and again, to care for it, not just for their physical food, not just for their education, nor what, just what they dress. I want you to teach them. We'll talk about this next time. Not just read the word with them. Teach them the word. Diligently. Teach them diligently. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The word must be dominant. Take all the chances. Seek all the opportunities. To open issues about my word. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. And thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. And, th and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. And on thy gates. It's a good thing to, to hang verses in your houses. Nice. Maybe it's good for the decoration. But the word of God is not just for the decoration. It's about talking about it, teaching about it. Diligently, diligently. You do this diligently. It's amazing how the Lord has used this family religious practices in the redemptive history. If I ask you today, randomly, how many of you were raised in Christian houses? I was not raised in a Christian house. It was a nominal Christian house. God has his ways, and he brings people not from Christian houses. But it's amazing the percentage of true Christians who were raised in Christian houses. Amazing, right? How the Lord is using this to bring people out of these houses to worship him. And we saw this in the scripture. Not only people who came from non-Christian houses, but we saw someone like Timothy. His faith was already there in his mother and in his grandmother. God loves the family. And he is teaching us as families to raise our children in his fear. Not just to be polite, but to know him, to know his word, to know his salvation, and to live accordingly. And on the other hand, if we don't do this job, He will rebuke us. He will judge us. There is a fearful story, and every time I read it, it's sobering. In the book of Samuel. Let's open the book of Samuel. First Samuel chapter 2. We see about a man, a priest, very important role in God's people, Eli, who has two children, ungodly children. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. His sons were doing 
very bad things. You can read about it later. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, why do ye such, why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all these people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. On the other hand, the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Up to this point, you may say, well, Eli is doing a good job. He is warning his children. He is not happy with their wickedness. True. But if you read further the coming few verses, and to see what the Lord himself said to Eli, it's fearful. Look at verse 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus says the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon my altar to burn incense to wear an effort before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering? which I have commanded in my habitation. And you honored, you honors thy son above me to make yourself fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel of my people. The Lord is rebuking Eli. He is telling them, you did not do your responsibility right. You were, you honored them above me. You were so late, Eli, to rebuke them. Where were you all these years, all these days? What a fearful speech this is. You have honored your children more than me. When we do not raise our children in the fear of the Lord, we are honoring them more than God. When we try to be nice to them, when we just give them what they want, and we know that our children are sinners. We are honoring them more than the Lord. We need wisdom not to be harsh. Not to be legalists with them. But we need to be loving parents. Loving parents. Who would not tolerate sin. Would not tolerate sin. Teach them forgiveness, teach them about God's grace, but they need to know it's grace. For someone to know that this was grace, he needs to know that he deserves the opposite. What he has done was wrong. It was not okay. It doesn't seem that Eli did this. God rebuked him. He said, you honored your sons above me. May the Lord protect any one of us to hear such statement. You have honored your children above me. On the contrary, we, we see another person. In the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, which is very relevant to us. At this time, this is the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua already entered to the land. They already made a lot of wars. They conquered some lands. However, 
not all the nations in the book of Canaan were expelled from the land. This is the end of the book, Joshua 24, and Joshua is giving them a kind of a, a final speech, or give them a speech at the end, telling them now we are done with the wars. I want to remind you what happened. God has done this to us. He again, he talks about God's salvation. He took us from Egypt. He, he conquered all our enemies. He brought us to a land that we did not, we do not deserve. He removed enemies before us. He protected us from false prophets. And by the, by the way, we are coming not from a bad tradition, not from a bad heritage. Our fathers were idolaters. He's stating the facts. He's clear that our tradition was not good. And we are living in a land, the enemies around us, they are not godly. And then in verse 14, Now therefore, because what the Lord has done, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of Amorites, in those on whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua confesses we are coming from a bad tradition. Maybe our, our families were not doing a good job. They were not doing it the right way. We are living in a world which is antagonistic. They are against us. They don't like what we do. They are not worshiping God. They don't love God. They have their own principles, their, their own traditions. But as for me, I will worship God. Not only me, me and my household. The context is not an excuse. My tradition, my parents, my fathers are not an excuse. They did it wrong. And I will, I will not just repeat what they were doing because they were doing it. No. They were doing the wrong thing. They were worshiping false gods. And I will not do this. I will not do this. As for me, I will worship God. Not only me. Me and my house. My children, my wife, everyone in my house. This house is for the Lord. It's amazing that Joshua is doing this, maybe as a minority. But the impact that he had, at least during his life, and even little more than his life, was remarkable. He, he was so clear with the people, this is what I'm going to do. And he kept asking them, are you going to do this? Yes. Are you going to worship God? Yes. And he was not just a blessing to his household. He blessed the people of Israel. Look at the, the, the report at the end of this chapter. What was the report? In verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua. And which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. It's amazing, right? That Joshua was not just a blessing for his household. All the nation was blessed. Those who were around them were influenced, were impacted. 
by his godliness. Although the context where he lives, the people they live around, they were not godly. And their fathers, their tradition, were not. They were idolaters. But he have seen the salvation of God. We have seen what the Lord has done to us. And because of what I have seen, because of what I have experienced, as for me and my house, we will worship God. We will worship God. So it's uh, what a blessing to see the word of God teaching us again and again and again how important, how central the role of the family in God's plan. What we are doing every day, not only on the Lord's day. And I will leave this with you from Deuteronomy 6. That we teach our children the word of God diligently. Diligently. As fathers, we work diligently to provide for them, right? For them to eat. For them to, to dress. We work diligently. And women, you work diligently, whether in your jobs or in the houses, you work diligently for your family. Amen. But we teach God's word diligently. We care for that. Because this is a stewardship. God is looking to us and to our families. Not only you individually. Remember what he has said to Eli. Amen. If you have any questions about the biblical foundation, next time we'll speak, the time after next time, we'll speak about practical uh, things to do in terms, uh, with or in terms of family worship. Any questions about the biblical foundation? Good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, for adopting us to your family, that you are teaching us that what you are doing, you are creating a big family, a family where you are the father and Jesus Christ is our elder brother. We thank you um, because you have given this, us this image and this, uh, this family that you are part of. And we pray that we will not only think of ourselves, but to think of us being members in our physical families. We pray that we would be a blessing to our families. Whatever our role is in this family, we pray that we would be a blessing. That your word would be central and your salvation would be spoken of in our families. We thank you for your word. And we pray for strength from you, O oh Lord. You know how weak we are, how that we are suffering from frailty, but we thank you for your, your faithfulness to us and our families. In Christ's name we pray. I have an announcement. Uh, the book for the book study groups is available here. It's in the front. Uh, for all those who are part of the book studies, you can come and pick it up. And I've learned that uh, if you pick a book, you would pay kind of $10 in the, in the general funds. Thank you.